Charlene Giselle is a high-performance coach helping top performers avoid burnout and find sustainable success. Welcome to the show, Charlene. Thank you so much, George. I'm really excited to be on the show today. Yeah, excited to have you on. Tell us a little about your personal lives, more about your work, why you do what you do. Mm. Why did I become a burnout coach? Well, because I burnt out. <laughs> I think that... You know, to teach, you have to come from a place of genuine authenticity. And that was something so important to me. I've been obsessed with being a lawyer and becoming an attorney since I was tiny little girl. Uh, you know, some girls dream about being a princess and I dreamt about being an attorney. <laughs> Perhaps says a lot about how much of a geek I am, but that that's the truth. <laughs> So it was uh, it was a very early on career choice and I put all that I had into that career, my passion, my drive, my hopes. And to be honest, George, I actually loved it. I loved everything about it. I even loved the fact that it was so fast paced and intense and exciting and the high performance of it all. And I was working at an, at an American law firm at the time. But what I realized through a bit of a crash and burn experience was that I did not understand the concept of sustaining high performance. Although I was very ambitious and I was very much driven, I did not really understand that there is such a thing as an equation of high performance and there is such a thing as sustaining that high performance. And when you put it all in without having any kind of recovery strategy, actually might be counterproductive. And that to me was a complete shock, if I'm being honest, because I like to think of myself as a very uh, keen student. And I did take law school very, very seriously. And I was a, you know, a top student. And when I joined, I was a, a top associate. Little did I know that I had such big gaps in my knowledge when it came to my self-care. What kind of law were you practicing? I was a construction litigator in the field of oil and gas. And is that as a little girl, Charlene, that you saw in, in your mind's eye that you're going to be a construction litigator in the fields of oil and gas? Well, as a little girl, one thing that I knew that I wanted to do was disputes. And I did know very early on that I wanted to be a litigator. The construction element came in later. I was fascinated by architectures and pipelines in perhaps a bit of an odd way. And it was a, a way to merge my intellectual passion for the law with my admiration for engineering and, and architecture and working on a project that is both tangible and, and growing that you can see and you can feel and you can almost touch. I really like that uh, sensorial aspect of construction law. Yeah, well, I certainly appreciate that. Okay. So what got you where you needed to be through law school successfully as, a, <laughs> as an associate to for lack of a better term, make your way and make your mark with the firm and to demonstrate your abilities and your your willingness to work hard didn't get you to the point where it's going to take you any further or really be sustainable. Life accident, really. When uh, I decided to be an attorney was motivated by my great admiration for my father. And a few years into my career, as I was 
building as much as one can and really enjoying success without really reflecting on the other aspects of my life that I had neglected. My father had a burnout driven heart attack mm. while going uh, to work on a Monday morning. And it really hit me that the way we worked was not sustainable. And it took that life or death moment to contemplate and reflect on the meaning of sustainable success. And one thing that I hadn't ever appreciated before I visited my dad in the unit and had to be faced with the aftermath of the heart attack and the stroke and the possibility that he might die was actually how much do we think about the fact that the only thing that truly defines whether or not our success is sustainable is whether or not we are able to survive it. Mm. I know that brings quite a lot of morbidity into the question, but from a philosophical standpoint, I think very often until we hit with a diagnosis or a life scare, we don't really measure success against the mark of whether or not we will survive it and enjoy it. Surviving success. Those are two words that aren't necessarily put together commonly, but very powerful. Indeed. And I had never really been a thought until that moment where, you know, I walked into the intensive care unit on the Friday night because, of course, I couldn't fly on Monday. I was busy with work, as a good attorney would be. <laughs> and by the time I flew in, my dad actually had a stroke before my eyes. So it was quite emotionally traumatic. And if it wasn't for that, I don't think that thought would have even been generated in my head at all or ever. Yeah, certainly. You're just doing the thing from this is this this is what I do and sure I'm tired I don't feel great but that's just that's just part of the deal indeed and all I wanted was carry on and push on harder and harder beyond the limits of what my body and mind could sustain but it really dawned on me in that moment that it was bigger than me. It was bigger than my father. In fact, when I stepped away from the hospital, I started to reflect on all the people that I greatly admired, the attorneys that made me want to be the attorney that I was becoming. And I started to notice that there was more to the story that what you can see at surface level. Yes, they're shiny and bright and brilliant and super smart, but they're also super stressed. And a lot of them are navigating divorces. A lot of them are navigating diagnosis. And it just made me question, how could I become the person that actually bridged the gap between high-performing law and sustainable wellness? And I became that coach. I became the coach that I wish I had. I became the coach that I wish my father had. And I became the coach that I hoped many attorneys could have so that they can keep on doing what they love. Because ultimately, that's my goal when I work with top performing attorneys is to ensure that they can continue to shine at work, but also in life. Makes it makes all the sense in the world. I'm interested in 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 knowing how to know how to identify if I am burning out. And mm -hmm. then I'm interested in it. I, I wonder if people really know what does success really look like? Mm, that's a really good question, George. One of the things that I've noticed is certain level of deterioration in different aspects of our life. The first aspect to watch out for 
that perhaps is an indicator of a professional being somewhere along the burnout spectrum is when we see behavioral changes. Behavioral changes can range anywhere, drawn from increased consumption of alcohol to uh, seeking thrill activities that are a bit unusual to sleep deterioration, to isolation, to food-related behaviors, right? So that's quite a wide range of, of topic. The second aspect to watch out for that I see very often with successful professionals, not just the attorney population, is around that social element. Am I withdrawn? Am I actually canceling out events because, well, most likely I won't be able to make it. So isn't it easier if I just don't show up or just don't bother to make the plan in the first place? Or when things that you once used to love become burdensome, that's also a really strong telltale mm. sign. The third aspect is a lot more emotional. And that's when that once burning passion for the profession turns into what I like to call the dooms and glooms. It becomes a bit of a dread. You just go in on Monday thinking, oh, here we go again, right? So that's really telling. Instead of getting excited for the week ahead, you start to dread the week ahead. That's something to watch out for. And then the the other level is the professional. So, you know, for some of my client, it could be performance-based, but most of my clients actually continue to excel while they're struggling. And that's the bit that makes it a little bit hard to pinpoint because typically rock star professionals don't want to admit that there is problems. So what they do is they either brew or they bottle up. They bottle it all up and there is a great level of sh of shame and, and almost of a taboo of but why and how can I struggle doing that thing that on paper looks so shiny and bright? And this is really where the power of coaching comes in because my strong belief, George, is that just like in sports, right? When you see athletes get to the Olympics and win gold medals, you hear them talk about the fact that they've been coached. No one would go, oh, this athlete's got coached, so that must be a mediocre athlete. Not at all. People go, wow, what a great athlete and what a great coach. And that's how they won gold. And the mindset shift for working with top performing professional is to go from, I can't get coached because it's an omission of the fact that I struggle to I'm getting coached because I'm a rock star and I want to continue to be one. What a powerful shift that is. And it's, I mean, it's so obvious once, once you say it out loud, but not necessarily intuitive, which, which is interesting. When, when you, does the idea of looking forward to the week ahead on a Sunday <laughs> evening or a Monday morning, how many attorneys are really doing that? <laughs> Not many. So typically when I ask my attorneys just the other week, so I was working with one of my clients, first coaching session, I said, so what are you looking forward to? The day to be over. <laughs> that's usually what I get as an answer. And that's when I know there is quite a bit of work to do. And that's where I come in, you know? <laughs> The day to be over where I'm not the doing this anymore. 
<laughs> and what's 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 possible? What's possible is bid, building mental fortitude. So think about it this way. When you see a top performing athlete or a top performing champion, be it a footballer, um, be it a rugby player, go in to play. They don't go in starting, oh, yet again. Oh, this I know. Again. <laughs> We're going to lose. I have a feeling this is going to be a bad one, isn't it? quite the opposite. They work with their coaches, they work with sports psychologists to top up that belief that they are going to win and they are going to perform. Because they've done that mental work, which is really that mental fitness, that mental fortitude, they actually adopt the belief that they're winners. And guess what happens? They win. And it's not necessarily just doing a better job as an attorney or whatever it is that I'm doing. It's feeling good about the work also. Yes, yes, absolutely. And aligning your values, right? Because very often when we're starting to feel that frustration, anger, all those emotions, resentment, my clients often use the term, oh, I just feel a bit grumpy, or I have uh, short fuses, or my wife has noticed that my mood has deteriorated. That's the kind of words that I get. That's actually because you have made a very big gap between who you are and what you do. My work as a coach is to make sure that my clients work on making that gap between who you are and what you do as close as possible. And when you bridge that gap, that's where value and alignment lies. And, and really, that's magic. That's magic because suddenly you do what you do with that renewed sense of passion and, and desire, and you can truly be what you do and do what you are. And that's so beautiful. So is that, is that I am a fun, loving, playful person, and I'm going to figure out how to interject that into my actual professional work. And is that I am also an active person. And therefore, as an active person, I need to be active throughout the week. That's a really great one. That is one, first step, auditing your values. So what are your core values at a professional level and at a life level if there is a gap between the two? Sometimes it's both. Sometimes one of, well, one of my clients leading value is success, right? I want to be successful. Go figure. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Surprising, isn't it? You want to be successful. I hear you. But specifically, what do you want to be successful at? Huh. Or I want to make partner or I want to make equity partner or I want to make X amount of dollars a year. Okay, great measure of success. I hear you. But what else do you want to be successful about? And that's where the reflection begins, right? Well, I want to be a successful husband. I want to be a successful father. I want to be a successful community builder. I want to be X, Y, and Z. And so then the next question really is, once you've audited those values, do you embody those values? And if not, 
what boundary do you need to set in place to embody those values? So going back to your example, which I thought was terrific around fun, right? Fun comes up a lot. And very often for my clients, it's almost either a distanced memory or a fantasy of an aspiration, right? So far removed from their reality that they can barely touch it or feel it. And actually what you can do to reintegrate fun into your life is just setting a boundary. So I'll give you a very concrete example of one thing that I did with my clients just recently. I asked him, well, what's your definition of fun? When do you feel fun? And he felt fun when he was playing golf with his friends. So of course, the next question is, when is the last time you played golf? Uh, can't remember. Right. So here we come, coaching homework. This weekend, you're going to play golf. And you're going to schedule it as if you were meeting the law firm's most important client. Because then I know that he's definitely going to show up. If we just build it as an aspirational hobby, he's not going to show up. He didn't mm -hmm. show up for years. What would it change now? So it's knowing what your motivators are. In his particular instance, it was continue to be brilliant and bring fun into the equation. So we set those boundaries around it by scheduling that activity. And what happens is on the Monday morning, then he felt more creative, he felt more engaged. So at first you could say, what does golf have anything to do with law? Well, the most interesting question is, but golf had a lot to do with him as a person. So when you rekindle your passion Outside of work, you also rekindle your passion for work. Yeah, we do have a tendency to sort of segment or wall things off from one another. And golf's got nothing to do with this, but well, it does. It has everything to do with all of it because you are bringing yourself to all these things. That's right. And, you know, he is a very strategic person. So by playing golf, he really also could be more creative in his strategies and found that actually that generated new ideas that he could then apply, perhaps not in a linear way, but apply nevertheless as an attorney. How hard is it for people just to, to, to recognize or to embrace that it's okay to have fun and it's more so it's important to enjoy your life and it doesn't need to be a struggle session or just not everything needs to be a slog. It comes back to the productivity equation. One of the fundamental law of peak performance in sports psychology is to really look at productivity and performance as part of and parcel of an equation. So typically, if you have a whole lot of stress with no adequate recovery, call it fun, call it recreation, call it release, whatever you might want to call it, it's almost labeled independent because it's all about that release, that recovery, then you are going to grow. So it would be going chronic stress or stress or high intensity stress plus rest, leisure, release, fun equals sustainable performance. But very often the equation is instead chronic stress, high anxiety, performance anxiety, professional perfectionism, plus no rest, no recovery, because I don't have time for that, equals burnout. 
and when I can flip that switch and, and, and get my clients to actually see that there is an equation to peak performance, that's usually when the penny drops. That makes a ton of sense. Well, Charlene, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? How can they engage with you? I use LinkedIn quite a lot. So you will find a lot of my articles and publication and thought leadership on LinkedIn at uh, Charlene Giselle. And you will also find it on my website, www.charlengiselle.com. And you will get a lot of resources as well, be it confidence recording, be it eBooks. And of course, if you mention the podcast today, then I'll be happy to send more material over your way. Awesome. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show Charlene your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to charlenegiselle.com. It's C-H-A-R-L-E-N-E-G-I-S-E-L-E.com and find her on LinkedIn as well and check out all the great resources and find out if what she is working on is going to help you get closer to the life that you actually are wanting. Thanks again, Charlene. Thank you, George. Until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.